The nail in the coffin! All right, welcome to the nail in the coffin. Trev, welcome back, buddy. How is dad life treating you? Thank you, Tommy. Dad life is fantastic. Lots of diapers, lots of feeding, lots of waking up in the middle of the night. It's everything a guy could ask for. <laughs> a plus. Hey, good to see uh, Teddy Ballgame there on the uh, the Zoom before we got started. Looks like he's doing well. Oh, yeah, he's a stud. He's doing great. Speaking of doing well, as we're uh, waiting to start recording, uh, we see the uh, Indians a nice little walk-off to uh, officially punch their ticket to the postseason. Figured it'd uh, be a good night to talk about that and uh, maybe a little Browns, too. We are joined tonight by our friend from WaitingForNextYear.com, Joe Gerberry. Joe, uh, we've been uh, all on uh, Waiting For Next Year now for, what, about three years? And uh, I think this is the first time you and I have ever had, like, an actual audible conversation. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, doing well. Yeah, this is first time uh, talking to you guys. I did do a video with Jeff Nomina when he was with us and Craig, but uh, that's uh, that's been the extent of my uh, verbal uh, contributions to WFNY. There have been a lot of uh, articles out there, but nothing uh, nothing in podcast form except for that. So, yeah, Joe does well. Uh, pl- yeah, that's right. Joe does plenty of writing, a lot of editing, a lot of work behind the scenes, and. Uh, it was good for uh, some conversation in the uh, WFNY Slack as well uh, when my uh, productivity at work is being killed. Um, Joe, we got uh, we got the Indians tonight. We got the Browns tonight. What do you want to start with? Uh, I'm I'm good to start with Browns. That was what I was brought to WFNY for, but uh, I do a little bit of both. So we can start Browns if you want. All right. What do you make of the Kevin Stefanski regime so far two games into the season? Uh, I, I'm enjoying it thus far. Uh, I said, uh, numerous times in Slack that, uh, the best way I can put it is that Freddie got us, but Stavansky gets it. And that's probably the best way I can put it as far as, uh, judging these guys and, uh, and the team so far, he just seems like he's got a, he, he definitely seems well more put together than Freddie ever was, has a game plan that he's you know, bringing forth the first week obviously didn't go well, but going up against Baltimore and with the injuries that this defense had, it it wasn't going to be a good game to begin with. And then the injuries definitely uh, took it down a notch on those, but I'm, I'm enjoying the returns thus far. Uh, the offense looks great uh, against Cincinnati, but again, it's also a little bit against Cincinnati. So, <laughs> yeah, Treb, what, uh, what have your thoughts and uh, uh, main takeaways been so far here through two games? Well, I think game one, it was just, it just seemed like a, a fucking buzzsaw. There was a couple, like, obviously, crabby mistakes early on. And I was, I don't know, <laughs> I was at the point very early in that game where I'm like, fuck it, I don't even need to watch the rest of the season. I'm done with them. Uh, <laughs> I was just not feeling very good. Um, and then, you know, they had a short week and looked decent last week. I think, um, it, I thought it was kind of weird because I felt like a lot of the, a lot of the talk after that game was how good Joe Burrow played, but I don't know. It took him 61 pass attempts to get, you know, 300 some yards and never really got him for like a big play. And I thought, 
I don't know. They gave him a whole bunch of yards to Joe Burrow and 30 points, but I honestly thought the defense even looked pretty solid. Um, so far, we haven't been plagued with any of those um, the, the sort of Freddie type moments from the last Freddie and Hugh type moments over the last few years where you're just sitting there wondering what the hell the coach is doing. So um, as far as Stefanski, I, I can't complain about anything. Yeah, there is something about becoming the Browns head coach, it feels like, that makes people want to prove that they're the smartest guy in the room. Um, you know, is this Stefanski's two predecessors that you just mentioned certainly prove that time and again. And I got very concerned that we might be heading down that road again with the fake punt against Baltimore. Uh, but that was, I feel like, through two games, the only really Brownsy moment we've had uh, so far. A um, couple of things have jumped out at me. Uh, it feels like the team just looks a lot more organized. There is, I, I haven't seen a lot of... Uh, uh, Terrible clock management, you know, misusing timeouts, having to waste timeouts, uh, terrible challenges, um, confusion, uh, indecision, just all the things that have plagued the Browns in the last couple of years. I mean, I know they got their doors blown off against Baltimore, but um, that felt a lot more circumstantial than anything self-inflicted by the Browns, which a lot of their losses have felt like. Uh, especially in these last couple of years. Um, and, and, you know, there really wasn't, to me, a whole lot to panic about with Baltimore. Um, anybody I talked to before that game, I said, I wouldn't be stunned if this gets ugly because, you know, you're, you're looking at a situation where, you know, it's hard enough to implement a new system in a normal offseason. And obviously this is one where you had no OTAs, uh, slim down training camp, no preseason games. Uh, you know, you're running a, a skeleton operation here trying to get ready for a season and you're going against the team that's a Super Bowl contender. And on top of that, you know, the Browns went into Baltimore last year. and That was, you know, one of the highlights of their season. So, you know, Baltimore's probably got that in the back of their mind and their season, they had this great regular season and it ended on a terrible note in the playoffs when they gagged against uh, Tennessee. So if there was never going to be any situation where, you know, you're going to sneak up on anybody there. So um, I, I was really encouraged to see how quickly the Browns turned it around and look competent again on Thursday. And, you know, I, I feel like, especially on the offensive side, we, we got a blueprint for what a, a functioning uh, successful Browns offense could look like this year. Joe, what'd you think about the, uh, the offense? Uh, the offenses look pretty good. Um, you know, they even in the Baltimore game, it it wasn't a a bad go. It was that drop that OBJ had that really kind of took the wheels off. But um, everything with regards to um, the Cincinnati game, I mean, you couldn't ask for a better beginning of that game. At one point, I think in the third quarter, Chubb had twenty two carries to Kareem Hunt's one. Then you get to just go to Kareem Hunt at the end of the game to close out. You get, you, I mean, a, a, arguably a top fifteen running back in the NFL is your closing out running back, who's got four three speed. I mean, it is as great as that's that's pretty uh, pretty high up there as well as, as uh, around the league. Um, Baker looked better in the Cincinnati game. He he wasn't blocking on any one receiver. Um, OBJ did get a bunch of targets that game. Let me look up real quick. I had it, but um, 
he had six, but I mean, the next closest was four in the, in the Cincinnati game. He was targeted almost double the amount of anybody else. So they were going to, they were going to him a lot in Baltimore and they've really spread it out a lot more in Cincinnati, but they also cut down on, on Baker's attempts. He, they didn't need him to do too much, which is really, you know, it, it sounds worse than it actually is, but you really don't want Baker at this point in time until he gets a little bit more confidence back to, uh, to be pitching you out of games, you know, when he starts flinging it down field and, you know, to the sidelines and things, that's when he's, uh, he's got some problems when he's working in the middle of the field, running those quick slants. That's when he looks the best. And that's what was, that's what they had going against Cincinnati. That quick offense is uh, off the play action. Everything is, is really what, uh, what he does best. And that's what they had going. True. And one thing, yeah, I was, I was, one thing that, that stood out and you mentioned it sort of, you know, how good, um, Chubb and Hunt both looked. The offensive line has looked pretty damn solid so far. Um, I last year there was a few like I don't know there were a few sort of like random metrics that people kept citing to sort of imply that the offensive line wasn't terrible. Um, and I remember watching it. I'm like, you don't need to see like how long Baker has in the pocket to know this offensive line isn't good. So they addressed it in the offseason, obviously. And I think early returns so far are, are pretty damn solid, even in Baltimore game i thought the offensive line played admirably i mean they were sort of they sort of ran into a buzzsaw just across the board um but the offensive line was sort of the least of their worries um and to your point joe yeah having you know if you're in you know a, a game that you need to salt away in the fourth quarter to have a guy that's as good as uh kareem hunt completely fresh on the bench after nick chubb has just been you know beating them up for three quarters um it's kind of it's an, it's an incredible luxury i don't know um, I don't know if there's any team in the league that's got anywhere near that. I know I texted you, Tino, before the season started that uh, I was reading Peter King and he sort of gave his preseason um, predictions and whatnot. And he picked, I think he picked 11 teams in uh, in the AFC that were, that he considered contenders, even like remote contenders, right? And like, I think Miami was one of them and Buffalo. Buffalo's pretty good, but um, I was like, if you're putting these teams in there, Cleveland has to be in. But then he also said that he thinks Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins are the best one-two punch in the league. And I don't know, that's where sort of sort of blew it for me at that point, Peter. Sorry, uh, sorry, Tino, to your uh, fellow Bobcat. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll address this at the next alumni meeting. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, about that offensive line, Jedrick Wills. I- I'm I'm really encouraged so far. Uh, you know, a lot of questions yeah, for two games in about him, you know, having to get settled in at left tackle, uh, you know, so far so good. You know, he, if you're a casual fan, just, you know, tuning in on Sundays, watching these games and, you know, not breaking down the all 22, um, you know, I, I think the one of the highest compliments you could play, you could pay one of these guys is to be like, didn't notice him at all because he wasn't holding anybody, wasn't jumping off sides, wasn't blowing any assignments. And I, I don't feel like we've seen any of that. It seems like he's been uh, uh, more than solid so far. Yeah, yeah very be, much. I think across the board they have been. Yeah, to be able to get that out of a uh, out of a rookie with this season, with his off season and uh, moving over to the left tackle when he was right in, uh, in Alabama, he was guarding to his uh, blind side down in, uh, down in Alabama. So he does have a little bit of that, but you know, it's, it's harder than you think to just, you know, flip what hands you're using as opposed to, uh, you know, going right side to left side. Um, 
Also, I mean, Conklin's been great. Uh, he didn't get the start against Cincinnati. It was weird that he was active but not getting the start. Um, but yeah, everybody on the line has been has been really great. Wyatt Teller has been knocking guys out, and we all thought that right guard was going to be the uh, the problem this year, but he's been just as good as anybody else on the uh, on the line. Did Conklin even come in against Cincinnati? I remember I, I was think... listening like I was listening before the game, and they said if. Um, if, if that side of the line just looked like they were struggling, they might go to Conklin, which to me, uh, that didn't make a whole lot of sense. If he wasn't healthy, why are you going to save him and bring him in cold off the bench? But I don't, they, they didn't end up bringing him in at all. Right. I don't believe so. No, okay. I mean, uh, yeah, I didn't pay I enough attention to that, but, but yeah, even, and, and to that end, even Chris Hubbard coming in off the bench looks completely revitalized as opposed to what we saw last year from him. Um, you know, we would have never thought that he was as – he had this in him, or at least I didn't – would never have thought he had this in him when he uh, – coming into this year after after last. He he looked like he was as washed as there ever could be, a guy washed. Is this a Bill Callahan thing, bringing him in to coach the offensive line? Because it feels like, you know, this many pieces – implementing you, you got all these new faces on the offensive line you're moving guys around you got some guys injured you know a lot of moving parts there and you know they're holding up as a unit pretty well and is that a coaching thing that would be my guess i mean it it, it also helps that the uh the zone blocking that he that uh Savansky's bringing in um definitely goes a, a ways with helping that out um it, it covers up a lot of problems with strength and allows guys that maybe are a little bit more agile to, uh, to get a little bit more run. Um, and that, that's uh, always been a little bit of a problem with Hubbard where he's not been great with um, pass blocking just in general, but with moving around, getting him on uh, getting a move that uh, that seems to be a little bit better. And yeah, as I'm looking on the PFF, they don't have him on anything for week two. So it does not look like he got into the game. So it was all Hubbard on uh, against Cincinnati. There you go. Um, defensively, Browns have got several guys coming back this Sunday against Washington, right? Mac, uh, Mac Wilson, Greedy Williams, Greedy. Yeah. and Kevin Johnson all are returned to practice uh, as of Monday. So that's encouraging. Uh, <laughs> the secondary, in, in particular, uh, been a little bumpy so far. I thought Denzel Ward played had a hell of a game um, on Thursday. He, I, I saw a few people like, be, uh, it seemed like there was sort of mixed reviews um, on Twitter. Some people were beating him up and some people were saying he had a great game. I thought he was really, I thought he played really well. Um, but yeah, outside of him, a lot of inexperience, a lot of, um, I don't know, just not very deep, not very talented outside of him. I don't think um, we knew once um, what's his name that, I'm blanking on the guy from LSU who was supposed to be playing safety. Delpit. Once he was down for the Delpit. Yeah. Once Delpit was down, you knew it was going to be sort of uh, touch and go back there, but then greedy goes down and I don't know. it's, it was definitely not great, but I felt they had a pretty decent scheme against the Bengals to sort of limit, um, to sort of, to sort of limit Burrow. And like I said, I, I, it didn't seem like he really hit on any big plays. Like he, you know, he, he completed a lot of passes and got a lot of chunks of yardage, but um, they kind of limited his opportunities. I thought and did a pretty good job. And most of that, I'm, I'm assuming most of that is scheme. 
Browns put a lot of pressure on him as well. I don't know if the sack yeah. total was particularly high, but it de- definitely so- seemed like he was under duress most of the night. And I know uh, Miles Garrett had a lot of uh, QB pressures in particular. Yeah. yeah, and that's probably what they're going to have to do, you know, make it so those those DBs don't have to cover as long. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, so how are we feeling about the team so far at uh, heading into Washington? Going into Washington, I feel I feel pretty good. I think um, Washington's got a lot. They got a lot of injuries, especially on their offensive line. They're really thin. Um, I think it could be a really long day for Dwayne Haskins. Um, I feel like they're probably, honestly, with with how good Will's played and how good the offensive line has played, I'm going to say that they're probably slightly ahead of where I thought they would be, considering how sort you know how little actual work they got to do and there was no preseason and and all that sort of stuff so the fact that Will's sort of been plugged in and he's been you know it looks like the lack of reps hasn't really hurt him a great deal um I I still have some reservations I'm not just sort of chalking up the Ravens game like some people are um there's still some things that I that I've seen that I had hoped I wouldn't be seeing quite as much specifically from Baker in his third year I'm still I'm still annoyed by how often it seems like he gets batted down when he's in the pocket. And I, I said this back when they drafted him, I I'm concerned that he's not going to be able to be particularly effective in the pocket. I don't think he has great vision and I don't think he's had, um, I don't think he's sort of had the, uh, like the fundamentals and the, the motion in his throwing uh, or his throwing motion where he can kind of overcome how short he is. Um, and, and it doesn't seem like he's still done much in that area. Maybe it's a non-factor. I don't know, but we're, you know, we're in year three now and I, it still seems like the same sort of issues are there. Joe, how, how are you feeling about Baker Mayfield? Um, you know, as, as good as you can after the Baltimore game. Um, I still, I'm in that zone to me where I, I do kind of want to see it at least one more time before I'm able to say, you know, rookie season Baker is back. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I mean, I said earlier in this podcast, you kind of need to limit him at this point in time, not necessarily have him on a pitch count, but you know, you want to, the training wheels are still on there a little bit with Savansky's offense in that, you know, you want to run the ball first, pass later, get around, you know, work your way, you know, to the outside that way, um, work your way up the field, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm feeling as as good about Baker as I, I feel like I can after last year's debacle and after Baltimore. Um, you know, we uh, we discussed in the Slack channel yesterday, and we posted um, this morning. This is we're recording this on Tuesday night, but it was so it's still up on the site um, about uh, just the top uh, QBs in the in the league who you would be going with today and who you'd be going with over the next five years um and we had baker probably i mean as a general consensus right around you know in the top 10 of qbs that you'd want to uh that you want to pick for the next five years obviously it takes guys like brady and breeze and rogers who are kind of in the twilight of their careers take you know it eliminates those so you know with a grain of salt just given his uh his age but to be above guys like, you know, we were talking about him above Burrow and Allen, Josh Allen, for the most part, 
you know, at the end people of have people had Baker ahead of Josh Allen right now. No, we were we were all mostly saying most everybody in the chat was saying Baker over Josh Allen just because of what Baker has done in his rookie year and what he's been capable of. Allen has obviously done fantastic this year with Stefan Diggs there now. He's thrown over 300 yards each, each game. I only know this because I have him in fantasy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Baker still it, it, in, in a perfect world in the, in the quarterback situation, I'd be taking Baker over Josh Hill, Josh Allen without any question. So interesting. Interesting. That surprises me. Um, I feel like Baker's got a better quarterback situation than Josh Allen has. Yes. So we were, we're saying we'd be taking Baker over Josh Allen. Okay. So we're saying like their overall situation, not necessarily which one would you want on your team? Yes. Yeah. Okay. 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 It also goes back to, uh, uh, Craig and Andrew had talked about how, um, you know, everyone's, drooling over Lamar and, and and how good he is and you know how much you know teams missed on him but uh, Craig pointed out how um you know there's probably 20 plus teams in the league that had Lamar gone there he wouldn't have turned into Lamar the way that he did in Baltimore that he landed mm-hmm. in pretty much the perfect spot with um you know, uh, Harbaugh there and and Greg Roman helping him out so you know, we were. I was saying QB situations where you're going to be taking the quarterback, the coach, the the offensive line, that kind of a soul, the whole thing, rather than just you know plug and play, put him into Jacksonville and let him do well, or you know see if he does well. These because obviously, uh, you know, that's one of the worst spots in in there. They we're actually looking at the whole package, and and Baker was probably the one that we went with over Allen. And like I said, I think it was. It was Mahomes, Lamar. I forget now exactly where it was. I had it. Russ early. probably still. Uh, Russ Wilson. I had think, up yes, there. we said we said Russ. Let me find it here. Uh, yeah, Mahomes, Lamar, Russell, uh, Kyler, Deshaun, yeah. and then Dak. Actually, okay. was who we had. So, yeah, that's uh, six guys ahead of Baker, basically. So who we were talking about taking. Yeah, I guess that's fair. All right, so look, if, if we're going to, you know, start looking league-wide here, what what have you guys made of the play around the league so far through the first two weeks? Because there have been two things that have jumped out at me as I've been watching other games not involving the Browns. Um, number one, the injuries have been brutal, uh, particularly this – past sunday and the first quarter this past sunday was a fucking bloodbath if yeah following on twitter it was just chaos that and specifically with like former ohio state players which was really strange as well um and the other thing i would say i've noticed is for not having a preseason i don't feel like a lot of these games have been as ragged as i thought they might be i feel like the the play has actually been the quality of play has been yeah, yeah. I agree with that. I think the quality of play has been, been pretty solid across the board. Um, I mean, you had like the, the Falcons game, Falcons-Cowboys game this week was hilarious on on so many levels, but it wasn't because it was bad football or anything, just just dumb. I don't know. I, I think the biggest thing that, that was coming up on Sunday was sort of if if all these injuries were a result of not having a preseason, 
And my initial reaction was, yeah, there's probably something to that. But the more I think about it, I don't know if that actually matters or not. I think it's generally just more that the guys weren't, you know, they probably weren't as conditioned as they normally would be. Um, preseason or not, I don't know that that necessarily has anything to do with it. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. I think that generally speaking, the quality of play has been, has been pretty solid. Um, outside of the injuries, nothing really seems that different to me from another, from any other season. Yeah. I wouldn't say necessarily have a problem with the preseason it, a, more than a pared down training camp really is more so where I would uh, mm-hmm. point some issues to, I mean, I, these guys only play three, four quarters of a pre of four preseason games anyway. So, I mean, you're, if you're taking one whole game out of three or four, you know, that's, you're not really missing too much on, uh, you know, if, if for practicing that way, whereas they weren't doing, I forget exactly what the protocols were, but they took pads away from these training camps for basically two extra weeks so you're not getting as much conditioning with the pads. You're you're you've also had these guys that have been holed up in their homes for COVID, and you can work out there. They're obviously well paid, so it's not like it's uh, you know, it's not like us where we're sitting in our sweatpants eating Cheetos watching uh, Tiger King in March. You know, these guys are actually working out <laughs> and doing things. But um, you know, there there definitely is something with team scheduled workouts and, and you know getting them in the complex and stuff like that that would uh that would definitely help a little bit more get them in condition and get them ready for for games but i do agree that we haven't really seen you know super sloppy play by anybody we haven't seen anybody you know i think of like going back to when the nba came back in the bubble there were guys that were throwing you know who was it that threw the ball to a coach that was it was in the playoffs even that was after like they had started the restart of the bubble but the coach was he literally threw it to the opposing coach that was on the sidelines i know who you're i can't remember which coach it was i know the play you're talking about was it was it westbrook that's gonna drive me nuts i'm gonna need to go back i will say in in the the player's defense there that coach was actually on the floor in the corner he was across the sideline so that was half the problem there. <laughs> also not great. Speaking of bad coaching decisions, I, one more league-wide NFL thing I, I want to discuss. The worst coaching decision I saw uh, of the entire weekend was the five head coaches who got themselves each fined $100,000 and each of their respective teams fined $250,000 because they didn't wear a mask on the sideline. Is it now, five now? I saw it was three earlier today. Was there two more? Yeah, both coaches from the Monday night game, okay. uh, Sean Payton and uh, Gruden. They, gotcha. Because, uh, like, those, that, uh, I think it was Schefter that in, uh, reported the first three coaches from Sunday during the Monday night game. And people were joking, like, oh, somebody better talk to these guys at halftime. And then they came back out for the second half, and nobody was, neither one of them were wearing a mask after halftime. It's like, well, guess they didn't talk to anybody, or they're really trying hard to make a point. I, look, I understand that, you know, there are, if you're in a, an environment where theoretically everybody's been tested, um, the odds of spreading COVID on the sidelines probably are, are, are low. I understand that. And I understand that there are mixed messages 
where you're telling a coach that he has to wear a mask on the sideline when like in Dallas, there's 20, 25,000 people in the stands. Um, you know, I, I, I get that, but at the same time, like you, you have a negotiated agreement that there are rules in place that you have to wear this and you're going to get fined. Like, I can't think of a dubber way to lose a hundred thousand dollars out of my own bank account than just like not wearing a mask for three hours. Like regardless of what be, you, regardless I'm of what you think a about bit of devil's advocate here, go and ahead. Not, I need to hear not it. Even, not even really defending it. I'm going to throw this out here and I don't know if this is, it, it's the first thing that pops into my head, but I'll be honest when I go places wearing a mask and I'm talking to someone else wearing a mask, there are times where it's very difficult to hear what they're saying or for them to hear what I'm saying. So if I'm a coach, like talking into this um, headset, especially if it's in like Dallas where, you know, there's, there is a crowd and there's noise, it's not necessarily quiet. And I'm trying to talk. If I'm those coaches, I can hundred percent understand why they would just pull their mask down and be like, fuck it. I'm, I'm not dealing with this whole game. The thing is though, like I'm pretty sure everybody that got fined, they were not like wearing the mask and then just pulling it down selectively to like get a message across. It was like, that's my I'm point not- though, is if, 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 if they start, like if, if I pull it down a few times and put it back up, after a while, I'm just gonna be like, fuck it. I'm not doing this. I don't have time to like keep thinking about this all game. I'll pay the fine, whatever. It's $100,000. Yeah, they make $8 million. Oh, I, If they do that every game for the entire season, it's a 10% fine, basically. It's 10% of their salary. Well, if you could afford to punt that much money away, I, I, God bless you, I guess. Yeah, you I know, just... we've, learned a long, we've learned a long time ago, let's not look at uh, professional sports fines in relation to how much you and I make. That's it's, it's it's monopoly money. It is. I mean, it is. But I I, I wouldn't with... be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the teams are just like if the coach has an agreement with the team, like they'll pay it for him. I mean, you don't want to look like Octonaut uh, Andy Reid out there with the <laughs> right. giant, uh, you know, screen in front of you. But I mean, that doesn't block it's something else. That, it's 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 a uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a whole. <laughs> It's wild that here. that was the that was like the biggest the first game of the NFL season, and that was like the biggest thing anyone was talking about. Right. Um, I want to know. By the way, I I want to know what uh, technology or or what uh, product he had to prevent his mask from fogging up uh, in the second game because he did not have the same problem with that. I'm I'm talking about Andy Reid. He did not have the same problem in the second game that he did in the first. Because it is an absolute nightmare for me when I'm wearing glasses and I put oh, a mask, mask on. And glasses is terrible. Uh, it, it is. It is awful. It drives me nuts. It, I, I've just worst. kind of like planned my day around now. Like if I know I have to go somewhere and I know I'm going to be wearing a mask, it's like okay, got to be able to wear my contacts at like you know whatever time of the day because mask and glasses together, no good. So we're talking a little, probably a little more about masks than we would have liked. But one thing I've heard is if you twist the little ear thing before you put it around your ears, it creates like a vent on the sides so that the air doesn't blow up. It blows up the sides. So mm. your glasses guy, try that and let me know what you think. I'll give that a shot. I do contacts now. I and I've I work at a public school and uh, it, I've I've worn glasses pretty much forever whenever I'm at the buildings. And then I started wearing contacts when the kids came in. And uh, as soon as the kids come back to people, or 
confused as to who I was because I, <laughs> I didn't have my glasses on. So the, the mask covering it, glasses and everything. And uh, yeah, it was, it's, I just had to, I had to go to contacts. I can't wear it with glasses. It's too yeah. much. Yeah. I've been contacts since the eighth grade and I don't know, like when I was younger, I could put them in first thing in the morning and wear them until I would go to bed. And now I can't wear contacts for more than, you know, like seven or eight hours tops. And especially if I don't put them in till late in the day, like it's just a certain time of the day. I don't know if it's just because I look at my phone too much now or what, but I, I contacts in my eyes do not uh, go well together. So I think I'm going to have to get the break. LASIK boys. I'm going to have to break down and look at the LASIK here sooner than later. I think get the I've LASIK. been avoiding it, but great mm. decision. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we we have covered the Browns. We have uh, had some mask best practices. Uh, what do you say we talk about the uh, local professional baseball team, the Cleveland Indians? We actually got started here uh, a little later than we had originally planned on because we wanted to watch the uh, extra inning heroics. And uh, Jose Ramirez coming through. Uh, Joe, what a uh, what a stretch run for Jose. He's been on a tear like no one else has been. Um, he's now leading. The AL in F4, which is uh, Fangraphs wins above replacement. Um, if you didn't see Mike Freeman's tweet today, definitely go check that out. Um, but yeah, there's been there's been no hotter hitter in the in the bigs almost than Jose, and really honestly has put himself, uh, if not in the lead at, at at the at least in the precipice of uh, winning the MVP here in the AL. And uh, it's it's looking a lot like it. Tonight's game definitely goes a uh, a long way with some of these voters because they're gonna look at you know recent uh, success and um, especially over Jose Abreu who also homered this game to uh, to keep pace with uh, I think they are tied for the home run lead in the league possibly. So yeah, Abreu and Anderson are both they both been pretty high on the list for the whole season and. I think general consensus, it sounds like they might split some votes anyways. Um, and yeah, if you were watching today and if you're a voter who was looking at Abreu or Jose, you might call it a wash a little bit because they both homered, but I mean, Jose hit a walk-off game winner. So it's, he's, yeah, he's been insane the last few weeks. And I don't know. It, I looked at the schedule today. I didn't realize there was only like three or four games left. Like it's, we're basically at the end of the season already. Um, and I knew that it was obviously a much shorter season than normal, but um, yeah, it seems like Bieber's a given for Cy Young at this point. Um, Jose's got as good a chance as anybody at MVP, but how do you feel about him in the postseason, really? Yeah, I, it's, it's up, it's up and up in the air. The, the no off days does um, wreck some things a little bit. With uh, with regards to pitching, um, you know, you have luckily for the Indians, we have such a deep rotation. Even though McKenzie has been struggling a little bit as of late, um, you know, it, you're you're probably going to shorten it up. And they said that uh, he was available through the um, in the bullpen today. Uh, but yeah, I really think that um, you know they they have as good a shot as anybody if they if you know they they clinch it tonight. If they are able to move up, possibly. I didn't know how uh, Minnesota did tonight, if they won or lost. But, um, you know, it's possible that we could be – right now we're looking at being in the seventh seed, and uh, it's possible that we could be moving up 
if uh, if we keep on this tear, if Minnesota starts falling apart, we've got two more against the White Sox, and then um, three a, with the Pirates. Three with the Pirates at all at home. So Minnesota's down three two in the seventh. Well, there you go. We're only a game and a half back of second place, so that would put us in. Um, it, I I think possibly fourth place, um, fourth or fifth place, which would uh, they'd face each other at that point in time, but. Yeah, it's uh, it's looking like there's there's a chance when we all thought that it was, you know, after that Cubs series, after that eight or nine game losing streak that they went on, um, you know, look they looked dead in the water, but they've uh, they found some new life here to uh, to try to make it back, and and just the same as recently, bias helps out in a J Rams MVP, uh, you know, stats or possibilities. I mean, you know, it makes me think that uh, they have a better chance going in the in the playoffs than other teams. A lot of drama packed into a season that's only 60 games long. I mean, decent start, got hot, fell off a cliff for, what was it, an eight-game losing streak, and, and now seeming to uh, hopefully rebound here. Um, kind of a, a, a lot happening this year. Um, Mentioning the pitching and and Joe, what you were saying about you know the way the playoff uh, format is going to be this year with the the lack of off days, um, you know, just kind of gets me to thinking. You know, that to me has been like the story for the Indians this year is their pitching. And you know, if you think about it, the start of 2019, you look at their rotation from the start of just last season. The, the top four guys, three of them have been traded away and the other one has had to overcome leukemia. And here we are today and their rotation is like right there. They've got the runaway favorite for the Cy Young. Um, and, you know, I, I think the rest of the rotation, I mean, I know Savali's gotten, uh, you know, hit a little bit here as of late. And, you know, you were mentioning Tristan McKenzie and, you know, he, he's gotten touched up a little bit, but... Um, you know, it's one arm after another coming up through the system, you know, and then like tonight, you know, because they wanted to push back, uh, Bieber, we see Cal Quantrill come in and even he goes four scoreless innings. It's, it's unbelievable the way the Indians have been able to develop pitchers through their system. It's going to be interesting to see some of these guys though. Like, like you look at police numbers, they're out, they're insane. And like, I think he's got like a one, one, eight, one, nine ERA, something like that. Um, his numbers are ridiculous. And you wonder, you know, it, it's obviously a much shorter season. So they're not indicative of an entire season. You wonder if, if they're, if you can really trust that that's, you know, that's who you should expect to see in a playoff series. I think we know, we know who Beaver is. Um, I think we know what to expect from Carrasco, but a lot of the other guys, the sample sizes are incredibly small. Joe, let me ask you this. You know, there was talk when they were trying to figure out this new postseason format that, uh, you know, one of the ideas that was thrown around for a while was that there was going to be a, I think it was going to be like a selection show where like the top teams were going to get to pick who they got to uh, face in the first round. And that obviously did not pan out. Um, But, and even if it did, the Indians are not going to be slotted anywhere where they'd have a choice of who they'd want to play. But if they were in a position, if you're looking at all the teams they could possibly face in the first round next week, um, you know, you're looking at Chicago, uh, Oakland, Tampa, I guess uh, New York and Minnesota would probably be the other ones, uh, you know, in that mix. 
who would be the best possible matchup for the Indians and who would be the worst? Um, I definitely do not want to face Tampa Bay. Uh, that would and that and second behind them right now, even though they are lower in the seeds, I don't want to play the Yankees as hot as they are. Tampa Bay has just always faced us just so strongly, um, and, and you know they're they have it feels like five extra players on their roster that they're just getting, you know, extra that they're getting home runs for or scoreless innings from that they just uh, they're able to pull the the bunny out of the hat numerous times. Um, whereas the Yankees just are a, a clobbering mess now that Giancarlo and Judge are healthy. Um, honestly, after this series, as, as you know, today and yesterday, um, we'll see over the next two days, I, I'd probably want to face the White Sox. They seem the most vulnerable. Um, their rotation's not as great behind Giolito. Uh, they do have some good arms. Reynaldo Lopez had a good game today for them. Um, Keuchel's a lefty who's uh, pretty crafty. Obviously, not. Uh, he has, it remains to be seen what he's been able to do outside of Houston and you know trash cans or whatever they have going on down there. But he's been he's been hurt a lot this year, so it's 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 tough. Um, but yeah, the top three I don't want to face right now would be probably Tampa Bay, New York, and and the Twins. They're they're just uh, they've been throwing nails up as well. Um, but yeah, White Sox. I'd be I'd be okay with A's and probably the Astros are where I'm 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 hoping to not necessarily hoping to get but you know looking at looking forward as much as you can be to, to facing those guys. Yeah, Minnesota makes me a little nervous. Indians have not fared well against them this year. Of course, the uh, the last series they played with the Twins was probably about rock bottom of the season for the Indians. Um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Trav, do you have any uh, any preferences who you'd want to see next week? Um, I personally, I'm I probably agree with Joe. I think the White Sox probably are a, a relatively favorable matchup. Um, honestly, I I haven't paid a ton of attention to the overall standings and like how things can sort of hash out and what what matchups are out there and possible for them. Um, it kind of seems like anything is essentially up for grabs, so they could be playing anybody. It is weird uh, what ha- having, um, you know, playing only AL Central and NL Central teams for the entire season, even though, you know, just a short season. I, I do mm-hmm. feel a certain level of detachment from the rest of baseball this year. And, and I feel like, you know, as a fan who's, you know, back in the day when I was, you know, probably 20 years ago, I- I'd be watching baseball tonight every night. And I could tell you like everybody's lineup and every team and, I don't have that now, and it's like if they're not a team that the Indians are, you know, facing at some point in the season, I, it, it's it's tough. Yeah, that's a, that's another thing. Like I, I mean, I, I watch a lot of Indians games. I don't watch a lot of baseball in general. So I, I mean, I saw earlier in the season the Yankees were incredible. They were, you know, they were just sort of blowing everybody out, and then they had a major skid and they dropped down to the eight seed, and now they're sort of back in it. And I, I don't know, they're a team that their lineup will just worry me as long as they're healthy quite frankly i can't tell you how healthy they are right now so i don't know i don't know if they worry me or not um minnesota's one their their lineup just their lineup scares me i don't want to go against them i guess they're probably the one i would want to avoid if i could i said this on the waiting for next year slack i think yesterday it it has to line up you know even with this new format that minnesota ends up playing new york in the first round right 
It's like that that, yeah. that happens every yeah, year to Minnesota, no matter what they do in the regular them, season. <laughs> every year, it's just <laughs> all right. We're in. Oh God damn it! We got to play the Yankees. Son again. of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. Uh, who knows? I, I I'm honestly, this is the first I'm sort of hearing the and it. It's kind of embarrassing to admit as I'm on this sports podcast. Um, I didn't realize what a good season Tampa was having and how sort of scary they were to a lot of teams. So um, that's sort of interesting. I also I also found out today that Miami is going to get in. The Marlins are going to get into the playoffs, which I thought they were just like the dead money team that no one was paying attention to. So we all thought, and that's too. sort of how weird the season <laughs> is, right? Well, they were the first. It, it doesn't help, but they were the first ones that got real real snake bit by COVID, and so everybody kind of shrug them off with that and then um you know with the just general marlinness of their team i didn't yeah i i forget that my a buddy of mine just said to the other day did you know that cincinnati's gonna make it and it's like no i did i had no idea that cincinnati was going to uh be there they're right now the seventh seed over in the nl and uh they're at 500 milwaukee's at 500 uh, San Francisco was really close to getting in, but it, it looks like they uh, they're a game behind that wild card spot too. So, um, yeah, Where does... I, there was there was a bunch of there was a bunch of teams that came out of nowhere. The the ones that the teams that we thought were uh, going to be like, have that weird COVID season where they just got hot. It all seems to be in the NL, I guess. So. Joe, where does uh, General Marlinness uh, rate against uh, Brownsiness? <laughs> Definitely, um, there's there's not a there's not a catchy you know hashtag like uh, punked or whatever the uh, the dog pound Capoto one Capoto one yeah I never actually have heard it it was uh, so I heard it said I, I can obviously see it with my seared in my eyes when I close them <laughs> but uh, you know I had never heard it spoken out before so it, it could have happened at a Marlins game but that would require someone to be watching the Marlins game to report on it. I, you know, I was going to say, I, I think I saw Manfred wants to have some fans at the World Series this year. Um, well, they're having a, it in Texas. So right. That, that helps them. Yeah. The thing that's weird, they were talking about, and I don't know if they're still trying to go ahead with this or not, but they were talking about doing a bubble for the playoffs. Yeah. How are they doing this effectively considering, like, the so, other leagues that did bubbles quarantined everybody for, like, a week or two beforehand? Well, it's basically, like, starting didn't you, didn't now you have to like get okay, okay. <laughs> there's, there's now not the you're uh, bubbled you're... i mean well the indians aren't in a bubble right now so you're gonna tell me in a week they're gonna be in a bubble but that doesn't really matter you're gonna so pack yeah, all just, these guys just in one for, place. for reference for everybody listening who hasn't read up on this the way it's gonna work the first round next week best of three all three games are gonna be at the higher seeds stadium so the indians will probably be traveling to somebody else's Somebody else is parked there for a best of three. If they win that, um, they will go to the ALDS. Now, the division series round, the American League teams are going to be playing at Dodger Stadium and where? Petco in San Petco. Diego? Yeah. And then the uh, National League division series uh, ser- uh, are going to be taking place in, I think, Houston and uh, the Rangers' new stadium there. Um, and then the LCS is gonna you know just take one of those two stadiums for each league and then texas gets the world series so um that's how that's gonna work um 
I, anyway, I was just going to, as we were talking about the Marlins and possibly having fans in the stadium, the only thing that, uh, you know, I, we'll see what happens with the Indians, but barring a, an Indians World Series title, the only other thing that I want to make sure does not happen, please God, I do not want to have to look at Marlins man in the stands at any of these games. Can we just keep him on? <laughs> oh God, that dirty look from Trav on the Zoom here. Can we just keep Marlins man out? That That's all I want. It's It's my favorite thing about the Big Ten season is I'm not going to have to see Buckeye guy. So if they can spare me that in baseball as well, I would be most appreciative. Yeah. Yeah. Get them out. <laughs> All right, boys. Uh, Trev, anything else on, uh, on your mind here? Um, I mean, the only other thing I would say is like, I just mentioned big Ten football, but we can touch on that later when we get closer to it. Yeah. We'll, we'll get there. We got a little bit of time. Yeah. Joe, any other, yeah. other, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Joe, any other lingering uh, Indians thoughts here? Not that I can think of. And, you know, like I said, we, we're we're pulling for Jose and uh, Biebs has the Biebs has a Cy Young locked up. Locked he's, up right? he's a he's a full win above anybody else in the AL. There's no way that anybody's getting it in in, in there. But you is know, he going to throw again this year this season? He's tomorrow. pitching tomorrow. Yeah, they just they just swapped him. Uh, he'll pitch against Chicago. Okay, so he'll tomorrow. still be on for game one of the next series. Yeah, right, that's that why they did it. Because originally he was he was slated to be to close the season right last game of the season. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yes, now he'll be good and healthy for and fresh for whoever we face in the uh, nice. wild card series. So, all right, well, uh, Joe, it's been fun. Uh, first time we had you on here. I hope it's not the last. Thanks for uh, taking some time with us tonight, man. Absolutely. All right, uh, that is going to do it for us. As a reminder, you could subscribe to the Nail in the Coffin on Apple Podcasts. We are also on Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher. And of course, waitingfornextyear.com. Uh, that's going to do it for us. I think we might try to uh, put something together here. Uh, maybe this weekend, a little tribe playoff preview. We'll see uh, if we can pull that together. But uh, in the meantime, for Travis Julie, Tom Valentino, it's been the nail in the coffin. Catch you again soon. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!